This is an interview with Heterochrome on Sunday, May 8th, 2022. Now, can you each introduce yourselves, starting with Arash? Yes. Um, first of all, thank you for having us. Um, so my name is Arash, and um, I'm the producer and, and guitarist, and uh, so uh, also the mix engineer for the album uh, that we did with Heterochrome. And um, yeah, I, I currently live in Finland, um, but I'm from Iran. And um, yeah, I don't know how, what else. Uh, so yeah, that's me. Mita? Yeah, um, my name is Mita Malek, and um, I'm also originally from Iran, but I live in um, Vancouver now. And um, I'm the lead vocalist and lyricist and the co-founder of the band um, with Arash. I am an artist and um, aside from being a singer, I also act and I write. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about our new upcoming album. What was it like growing up as a music fan in Iran? Um, well, it was actually, um, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, answer this in like two different ways to be like a, as a like a music lover and like as a like a metal music lover. I think it's like two different different things, um, because like as a music lover, there is not much um, difficulty actually to actually love love the music you want. It's just the problem with the live shows because like uh, it's really hard for the bands from outside Iran to play there. But like you would get access to, to music um, basically like any other country. So like it's no problem to be a music lover to per se. But then it's actually a different story when like it's the metal music that you love. And like if you want to express yourself as a, as a metal head, uh, that's a different story because then, like, uh, it's kind of a, a difficult thing to actually um, look like a, a metalhead in public, and um, it, it had its own uh, difficulties. But then, like, uh, then, like, once you find the people who actually are like you, I guess it it makes it easier. So, like, you just need to find the right circles, I guess. Uh, Mita. Oh. For me, it was very interesting because um, when I was younger, I I grew up in a family, um, both my uh, close family and my extended family are very musical and very music oriented. So um, growing up, the first um, couple of years of my life were really different than my, the rest of my experience. Everyone was a music lover and you were always pushed to listen to more stuff and um, you were pushed to pick up an instrument. I started singing before I could even talk. And it wasn't until um, I started going to school and being in an environment where I was seen as a non-male person expressing, you know, <laughs> Um, expressing interest in music and wanting to be a part of that scene that I realized it's not um, it's not 
quite as accepted as it was in my closer circles. So um, it was definitely a weird experience to kind of something that has been a part of my life since I was born, all of a sudden became very dangerous. And <laughs> uh, it, it was funny because that moment I started to have these conversations with my parents and my dad started telling me about how he would record like Metallica and um, Guns N' Roses songs on uh, cassettes that looked like they had um, like recordings of uh, Quran in it. And then he would kind of uh, smuggle the, the harder music in the country. And um, it, it was interesting because it was both something that um, helped me bond, I guess, with my dad um, a little more with over music. But at the same time, it was something it was if I think it was one of the first times that I realized um, there are stuff I'm not allowed to do as a person who's not a man. When you were younger, um, this is for both of you, um, did you receive any music lessons in your schooling years, work with any private tutors, or t attend any conservatories? Uh, for me, uh, like I said, it, because of the way that my family is, it was really important to them that I had access to basically all kinds of arts. Um, I went to specific schools um, that were international preschools for um I don't really know how I ended up in there, <laughs> but my mom uh, had very specific standards for some reason. Because we're not like a rich family, you know, we're a um, lower middle class kind of family. So it's not to say that like um, we had a lot of money and I had a lot of access to everything. But um, but it was important for my mom to make sure I was in a neutral environment, I guess. So um, I I had some very basic um solfege and like um, basic uh, music, stuff like that. Mostly it was just, there was a lot of music around me happening. And for me, um, it was kind of like, um, I actually started music um, with, an, with a Persian instrument called tar, uh, which I started when I was um, 11 years old, I guess. Um, I actually did not know what tar was. And I started because of my dad <laughs> and um, I actually didn't like it that much. And at the time I wasn't really into that kind of music. But then after playing it for six years, I started realizing that, that I have this, um, this passion for, for rock and metal. And um, I mean, I started listening to System of a Down and Metallica and I was like, okay, the guitar sounds amazing on those, on those um, like bands. Then um, uh, my my cousin actually gave me a guitar and it was like, okay, yeah, play this guitar. And um, back in the day, it was a bit difficult to find um, like an electric guitar teacher in Tehran. So I actually had to um, actually had to like uh, go like all the way across the city, which was like a, um, I guess an hour and a half drive um, to just go to my teacher every every week. Um, once uh, I was like going to college as well, and I, I guess that was uh, when like the musical uh, musical characteristic of of um, my my whole music career actually shaped. But then afterwards, uh, I actually got to go to Berklee College of Music in um, Valencia, uh, Spain, and I actually studied uh, music production there. 
um, which was actually a big part of our uh, second album as well. And then I, every, like most of the stuff that is in the album, I actually learned to do uh, in Berkeley. So I guess, yeah, that was uh, my whole history with music. What were some really interesting things you learned at Berkeley? Um, so um, the most interesting thing that I actually got to um, learn in Berkeley was to actually make connections with some people who are like uh, huge in the industry. And like I actually, um, I mean, as, as I said, I was a huge fan of System of a Down. And then I actually had the chance to sit down and talk to uh, to the like the re record engineer and then the mix engineer who uh, like worked with them. And it was actually really cool to actually um, be able to hear the experiences from the people who are who are doing so bit like such big stuff in the industry and like also like sitting in the mix sessions and the recording sessions of the like the big bands and stuff and just just looking at it not even like asking questions or whatever just looking at how how these people work it was actually kind of a game changer for me now um how how did your band uh, form? I think I can pass that to Mita. <laughs> that is a very fun uh, question for us. I knew about Arash since we were in high school. Um, we went to kind of um, it's basically the same school, but I went to the branch that's for um, girls, and Arash went to the branch that was for boys. And uh, we were both in robotic teams, and Harsh um, was a year above me, of course. Um, and uh, um, so I knew about him, but I, I don't think Harsh actually knew about me anything. But um, like I had heard of him, but it wasn't. Uh, I didn't know that, that he um, makes music and um, likes making music until um, I went to university. And um, as fate would have it, he was also a year above me in the same university. And um, I, I was talking to one of my friends um, at the time about like making music and wanting to start a band. And um, he tells me about Arash, and I'm like, wait a minute, I I, I know this person. Like, I I remember this person and uh, he was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you want, or actually my friend, I can introduce you guys. And I was like, cool. Yeah, sure. Why not? And I think um, he sent a sample of my singing to Arash and then Arash contacted me, sent me some of uh, the original songs that he was working on. And uh, the rest is history. It, it was really it was really fun. Um, we got together for the first time. We started jamming, and it was like that's something special here. You recorded this album in Iran, Finland, Canada, <laughs> Spain, and South Korea. What were some of your favorite memories being in those countries during the recording of the album? And were you able to pull anything relating to the personalities of the countries into the the album? I'm gonna let Arash take that one. Yeah, um, so this uh, question is actually super nice because uh, so the whole um, writing process for our second album actually started back in Iran uh, when we were all still in, in Iran. And uh, like it was a year before actually uh, uh, me and Mida actually immigrated out of Iran. So it actually started back in the day. And then um, I actually moved to Spain uh, to study there, as I mentioned, and then also Mira moved to Canada. But then there was a, like, a, 
weird phase between uh, like uh, actually being in the same room writing music and then like uh, doing it over Zoom and like doing it from from the distance, uh, which actually uh, was was an interesting experience because like it was really difficult at first, but then we got better at it and then we actually tried different stuff and like uh, remote recording and whatever, having our own setups and just like recording over Zoom and whatever. So that's how the, the demos were, were recorded. And then once we had the demos, it was time to just record the record the main thing. So um, so the vocals were actually recorded in Canada and Finland. So I actually recorded my own vocals here in Finland. And then uh, Mida went to, a, went to a studio. And then I was in direct contact with the engineer. And then like Mida was singing in the studio. And I, I was talking with them through an iPad actually in the studio which was like a really weird, weird setup, but it actually worked fine. And, and um, so, yeah, you can hear the result. But then also we, uh, I actually traveled to Iran and uh, we recorded the drums uh, in a studio uh, called, I think, Shahr Seda in Tehran, which is a really nice studio. And like they had uh, like really, really nice uh, facilities there. And actually, we actually got to record the whole uh, drums in two days there. And then, um, like, there were some other parts that was uh, recorded in Spain, but like those were also remote recordings. And also in South Korea, which uh, like one of my really good friends, uh, um, I actually recorded the cello parts in South Korea and then sent them over. But then I guess like each one of these recording sessions actually. Uh, was a really unique experience because of the COVID situation. Actually, uh, we were basically forced to do some of those stuff. And then, um, like, for example, the artist that was recording in Spain, I could have just went there. But like because of COVID, we actually couldn't. But then also Iran was a, a different situation as well, because I know for a fact that like um, um, a lot of bands don't really record uh, drums in the studio which was also a new experience for the studio themselves because they, they didn't record drums that much. But then also because of the fact that I, I actually got to record a bunch of drum sessions uh, in Berkeley, um, I, I actually went down there and then I started uh, like doing the, like the engineering by myself. And then um, they, they had a really good uh, engineer themselves as well. But like the whole collaboration and having the drummer there and then like, trying to figure everything out on the go it was actually a really nice experience and then it all added to the to the whole album if you could pick your three most inspirational albums that helped you evolve as a musician what would they be and why i think i'm a bit more sure about my three albums than Mida. <laughs> actually talked about this earlier um so like um i think um uh, i'm gonna go with uh, toxicity from system of down and then uh Lateralis from Tool, which was a huge part of my whole uh, growing love for for rock and metal. Um, and then the third one would be, um, I think, Overgrown by James Blake, uh, which is not a metal metal record. It's a, actually an electronic music record. But I, I actually like it, it changed my opinion about how music can be done and um, yeah, I think I love James Blake. For me, um, this was a hard question specifically because um, I don't really listen to albums um, as an album anymore um, 
that much. I guess you can say I've been I've been uh, touched by the 21st century a little um, harder. <laughs> you know, like once you start streaming songs, it's a little harder to stick to listening to albums because I always have like shuffle on. So um, it's not unless there's a specific artist um, asking for their album to be listened to as an album um, that I uh, sit down and listen to the album like front to back and uh, make sure to like listen to every track on the on the album. Uh, but thinking um, about this question, uh, and I had a thank thankfully I had a few days to think about it. Um, uh, I can. I think I can narrow it down to the album "Earn" from Neapolis Curse. Uh, there's also "Shadowmaker" by Apocalyptica. That specific album I remember um, was very uh, instrumental in, in in how I started to think about making music. I think it it shifted something inside me that um, helped me listen to music as a record maker rather than a than a listener if that makes sense um so uh, rather than a customer or um a consumer basically and um the last one the third album um that really left a mark on me was beautiful trauma um by pink which came out in 2017 and it really inspired me to to start uh, you know some of the songs that you hear in this album um i started writing the lyrics after having the experience of what Pink did with, with how she dealt with the Trump situation and the Trump administration. So it, it really uh, gave me a good angle on um, how I could be a better lyricist um, to myself, if that makes sense. What are some instruments native to Iran that you would like to see used more of in today's world of music? I'm going to go with tar because I started with, with tar, but yeah. That you can go on. <laughs> Sorry, tar is definitely one of the most important ones. Um, it's just such a unique sound, and there's also camonchet, um, which just the sound is is very strong, and it can make you feel a certain level of agony and solemn that not many other um, instruments I've heard can, you know, give that <laughs> feeling. Um, so yeah, I think those two would be my, uh, wait, my to-go-tos. Can you repeat the instrument you said? Camonche. Is that a percussion or a string instrument? It's a string instrument. It kind of looks like a cello, but it's smaller. It's, um, rounder and, um, uh, it's, hmm, uh, there's a, I think the most famous, uh, uh, player that is world renounced is um Paul uh, uh, yes yes thank you <laughs> i always get the last name wrong i pronounce it wrong so thanks <laughs> yeah yeah um, the third instrument i'm gonna go with santur i guess santur is also kind of a really nice instrument because like um it's kind of like a piano which is played with like hammers um but then like it also has such a unique sound i really enjoy it and also, like um, the the instrument that we mentioned in the beginning, tar. Um, we actually have some upcoming songs. Like we have recorded them, but like we decided not to release them with this record. But like we, we are gonna release more songs that use like um, native um, sounds from Iran, which was kind of a unique experience for us. 
Just out of curiosity, do you ever speak with Across Coda, the Iraqi metal band, or Creative Waste, the grindcore band from Saudi Arabia, on how they've fared moving to and or performing in America? Um, not really. Um, it was actually the first time I ever heard about those bands. Um, but like we we have the respect for all the all the metal bands everywhere, or any kind of any musician that is like trying to survive in this crazy world. Um, but like yeah. we Making have, ways. yeah, we actually worked with a PR agency that represented another band from Saudi Arabia. I think they were called Al Namrud, which was a black metal band, um, like anti-Islamic black metal band, which is like it's comp- like the most legal thing you can do, basically, in, in there, which like was mind blowing. But I mean, we never got to talk to them or anything, but it's just, the, I guess, the respect that you can just uh, pay this to these people, because like um, um, I, I actually played in a, a death metal band in Tehran and we actually got to play a bunch of uh, underground um, metal shows. And I actually definitely know um, what it's like uh, to <laughs> to be worried that like you can end up in jail basically releasing something or like um, playing a show basically when it comes to the instrumental wotb i wonder what are some of your favorite instrumentals and do you have any love for bands like japan's the flower traveling band i'm in love with their album satori actually i'm gonna grab that um so actually um thinking thinking back to the journey that i had writing songs and everything um, I guess I actually started out by just writing instrumentals and then um, so the traditional Persian music is actually like there, there are a lot of um, a lot of songs that have vocals, but then there are also a lot of songs that like do not have any vocals and they're just beautiful by themselves. And um, I guess um, when I, uh, I actually started listening to um, a Dream Theater, um, that was when I, I actually realized that, that, okay, there is much more to the music that we listen to than just the vocals. And the instrumentals are as, as important as the vocals as well. And um, like listening to songs like uh, Stream of Consciousness actually uh, made me um, much more interested in the in the story that the instruments were telling and and then uh going to opeth and tool i realized that those guys are also uh trying to figure out how to fit some instrumental um instrumental ins- instrumental session sections in between the songs and then in between the stories that were they were telling to uh make some kind of transition uh, so that's what we uh, I actually tried to do with this song. Um, I tried to uh, create some kind of surprise, basically, for the listener when they're they're listening to the whole album. Uh, we have this um, transition from song to song, and then there's just a little bit of a um, little bit of change in every every song. And then going to this instrumental track, it's kind of like a um, like a break from from what 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 was happening in the first three tracks. So this is the fourth track uh, in the album, um, and 
it, it was kind of like my way of um, telling the listener that okay, we have a uh, we have a lot of messages in the in the vocals and the, and the lyrics that we are trying to um, sing in the songs, but then there's also a, a, a huge huge background in the instrumentals as well. So there's just as much message in the instrumentals and like for example the drummer, our drummer. Um, he has done an amazing job of trying to um, figure out how to connect the pieces, basically, and to um, like drive the drive the force in the song. So I guess um, this instrumental track, and then the other instrumental track that we did in the first album. These are um, unique break in the middle of the album to just make you think about the instrumentals as well. To just try to enjoy the like the music without vocals as well but the band you mentioned um the flower traveling band um i actually never heard of them but uh, i had to check them out and it was really nice actually but yeah and I, um i i over the time i i i um i got to listen to a lot more uh, instrumental bands like russian circles and uh, similar bands which was uh, kind of uh, uh, really surprising because the music you hear nowadays is just almost all just vocals and the vocals is just the most important thing in every song you hear but yeah it was just kind of a way to break the cycle i guess rage against the people sounds like a play on the highly political band rage against the machine what if anything when it comes to changing how things are or bringing awareness to a particular set of issues do you feel like your songs are able to do for the listeners of your music I actually have a lot of respect for Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> uh, they're a really cool band. But uh, this song, the name actually has has this kind of um, play uh, with their, with their name. But the, like the content of the song, it's actually one of the only songs that that we made that is completely 100% not political at all as just focuses on um, human feelings and the interaction between the like like people in our lives i guess and um yeah so the content of the song is is not at all related to that but uh, yeah i mean uh, this is kind of a paying the respect that 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 we have for that band yeah but there are a lot of um there are definitely a lot of issues that we try to talk about and tackle specifically in, uh, in our upcoming album. And um, I think from the, from the singles that have already been released, it kind of shows that it's more personal, uh, very um, sociopolitical, if that makes sense. There's when your whole existence kind of starts being a political issue, then that's when uh, political becomes personal and personal starts becoming political. And um, it's kind of hard to, hard not to do it. So it, it happens a lot for myself to, when, whenever I start writing, whenever uh, there's something that gets me, either, that either being a song that I'm writing or um, a story or a play, I find myself being drawn into talking about those issues. And uh, the truth is, I myself was 
I think um, a lot of my knowledge about how the universe works and my values came from listening to artists that I liked or reading books that I liked. And I think that artists have a lot of opportunity, if not responsibility, to try and help make the community better and take the community forward. Um, it's, it's definitely been that way throughout history. And I think this is, this is no different. So maybe not on purpose, but um, it, when I listen back to our album, there are a lot of issues that we tackle. We talk about um, being persecuted for being queer in Iran. And we talk about the global warming. Um, that, that's the song that Arash started and um, how the world politics is just, um, you know, dumping this issue on our generation. And there's, there are very few action items that we actually can take. So, and then there's, of course, the travel ban and all of those issues that um, come up in our songs. It's, it's definitely packed with a lot of message, if that makes sense. For the song Outlaw, that was about Mita's fiance. Can you tell me the timeline on what was going on with you and how that song developed from the initial idea to the finished product on the album? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it was, so we, we got engaged, me and my uh, partner Sadaf, um, who's now my wife, and um, this was in 2015. So right when everyone was uh, telling us that uh, Trump would never be president, that's just, just impossible, it would never happen. Um, we were, we, you know, we finally, against all odds, found each other, and um, th through a lot of personal heartache and hardship we found each other and uh, it finally felt like uh and it's like it finally felt like there was a moment of relief if that if that makes sense and uh, we were starting to make plans for our future and for the first time in a very long time i had hope and um just as we were about to um make our case and start uh, our application the election happened and uh, Donald Trump was elected president. And um, shortly after the travel, um, he issued to effect. And there, almost immediately, there were, there were all uh, places. And so it, it was a roller coaster of emotions. We were hopeful that it's not going to go into effect completely. And then uh, we, we would hear news that no it is going into effect and then it's going to the supreme court but then it's not going to supreme court because he's changing it and then there are so many different uh things that you know whoever you started talking to they would tell you oh but it's going to be a different uh situation because that's your spouse that's someone that's your family for families it's different it's going to be different for your spouse if you're a u.s citizen and it wasn't and um it was just it kind of felt very personal just the moment that um, I, I had started to feel hope and I had started to feel like maybe the world wasn't trying to be super mean to me and um, <laughs> horrible to me. This happened and um, it was exactly when the second draft of the, um, of the band 
came into effect and they finally said because when the second draft came in it became uh um it, it became uh, an issue of national security um <clears throat> just for reference for people who have not seen me i'm a very tiny person and my wife always laughs at this joke that um they think i'm a threat <laughs> um i'm five two and uh very petite very tiny person it's um it's very ridiculous but because he used those wordings um that was it they couldn't really um uh, fight it anymore and um we ended up being in a relationship long distance for three years until we could figure out like another way to uh get out of this and it was the whole process you know the whole process of is it happening is it not happening that roller coaster was a lot so after that happened i kind of had this moment of anger and rage and I just sat down and I I put all of it in there and I told the story of okay this is this person um she's born in Iran and um she's different than everybody else around her which is which is how I used to you know um and then um just as she finds the love of her life and um thinks that okay this is it um I'm being rescued I'm being saved from hell. Um, the the world throws another curveball at them, and um, it it was it was a very dark moment for me. I felt like I was toxic. I think maybe for a lot of people who are living on the sidelines and who are not, um, you know, who are minoritized, this is a familiar feeling. At some point, you start feeling like maybe I'm the problem. Maybe. Maybe um, I'm the reason that everything is wrong for me and not my brother, who's literally dismissed me, but just a man and straight. It definitely took me years to unpack all of that trauma. And the, the song definitely helped. Every time I get to um, play it live, every time I get to sing it out, and every time I get to talk to other people through the song, you know, people listen to the song and then they come up to me and they tell me stories of themselves, of what happened to them. And um, I think people don't realize, but there are a lot of families that were devastated because of the travel ban. And um, there are a lot of families that are not allowed to exist because of um, stupid laws against, you know, being gay, being a person of color, being, um, things that are just a part of your human identity I guess so um yeah that that song that whole timeline was just um me kind of trying to make sense of everything that was happening do you feel like you draw energy from the struggles of Asian Americans as well as the exodus of the Ukrainian people enough to inspire another song um definitely um I think as we we were talking about it a little uh, while ago uh, most of the things that we talk about in our songs are not just um, problems that you deal with necessarily in one specific country. I mean, um, the, what's happening to um, Ukrainians has happened throughout the, throughout the past years and the past decades to a lot of other um, countries and a lot of other people from different nationalities. And, um, you know, the, the, there's, there's been the Syrian crisis. And there's been, uh, I, I don't want to get into it a lot, 
the the whole point of it is that um and of course the 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 horrible situation that we saw um happening after covid and the racism that uh kind of shaped it um people got to see the experience because there are a lot of times that um people don't realize that they're being uh, the victim of i guess racism um and then there are moments like this that is kind of a wake up call for everyone and we're like oh okay so I can't just put my um, head in the sand and pretend this is only happening to black people when it's not really my problem. So uh, to, to answer your question, yes, there is a lot about what's happening in the world right now that kind of inspires more, um, at least at least lyrically speaking, uh, inspires more in me. Um, I'm going to let Arash also uh, get a chance to answer to this one. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so. I'm going to say that it um, doesn't matter um, which country we were born in and like uh, which country we are living in or like which country would feel like we belong in. Uh, after all, we'll just, we're just humans, I guess. And um, the struggles are, are, are shared, kind of. We can't just be silent about the pain of another human being in another country. And like, I know that it's impossible to take all the pain away. Um, maybe in a in a perfect world that would exist but like we're not living in a perfect world and um, i guess like music is uh, one of the most powerful powerful tools that we have and we have been lucky enough to um to make songs that would um make people tell us like give us feedback about like it touching their lives like we've had people contacting us from Sweden telling us that okay um so yeah um i'm 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 a disabled person and um like my life is not that interesting or like um i i don't have many things to be happy about in my life but then listening to this song that you made actually uh, makes me a bit more happy about about the life i'm living which was like the greatest thing that anyone can say about the thing you're doing. And then I guess music doesn't have any any borders or languages. It's just international. Everyone can can relate to it. And I don't think I, I don't I don't see any reason why um, why uh, any specific country would be um, exempt from this. And then like. Um, we have um, we have songs that uh, that you know, mentioned that talk about this kind of issues that are global or truly shared between everyone who lives on this planet and then like um i think yeah the the pain that is, that people are suffering from everywhere in the world is affecting those songs can you tell me about your experience performing at the shab shan beha festival uh, yeah, that was also an interesting uh, experience. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what, one one background that I need to mention here is that um, so um, in order to uh, be able to perform this kind of uh, event in Iran, you have to go through a lot of regulations and um, go through a lot of um, 
I guess, paperwork to be able to get... Uh, jump through a lot of hoops. Yeah, jump through a lot of hoops to uh, basically um, persuade someone to give you a permit to be able to play this kind of show. So we actually jumped through all the hoops and went through all the like the rings of fire and whatever, and then got the permit to start playing. Um, but then like here comes the the day the day of the show. Then you want to go on the stage, and then everything goes wrong. Uh, like basically having the lineup of uh, uh, like the lineup that we have basically. Um, like there, there were problems coming up that were like just ridiculous, and just having the stress of performing in front of 150 people is is not enough. And then like there were people coming coming to us saying that, okay, if you do this wrong, we're just gonna cut the cut the sound, and then you're out. First of all, they told me I'm not allowed to stand in the middle of the stage. I had to stand on the side and back because um, there. There could be no illusion given to people that I'm the lead vocalist. Um, because God forbid, people think that there's a non-male uh, main vocalist. And then uh, I was like, okay, fine, I don't care. Like, I, I, what matters to me is being able to perform. So um, after, like, having a fight with them for five minutes, I was like, fine, I'm going to go stand in the back corner uh, hiding so you know you can make sure that no one god forbid sees my face and then um he they, they also came up to me and they were like you can't be wearing that you can't be wearing this and then just before we go on stage to play the dude comes up to me and is like if i see your head up going back on your head i'm gonna pull you down right in front of everybody and like can, can you imagine, like, you're already stressed, you're about to go up there and you're go, about to, like, um, I was also kind of the host, you know, like, um, <clears throat> main vocalist, you kind of end up being, uh, talking through, like, between songs as well, and kind of just uh, talking to people, trying to get them hyped up, it's just something that always happens with bands. Um, so I, I was, like, just trying to put myself in, the, in that headspace, and then this dude comes up to me and he threatens me, and, um, not to mention that throughout the whole thing, uh, they kept like lowering my voice. It it was it, but my mic. So that my mic line would just like I feel like at the end of the concert it was just like silent, and people were just hearing me project. We were just lucky that it was a theater uh, center, and uh, me having that background in theater, I knew how to project my sound on the stage. But um, I actually can tell you about the recording that we got afterwards and like the sound engineering. It was just a horrible mess. Like you could see how, uh, because uh, everyone else in our band is are males, you know, and um, that there shouldn't have been. Uh, speaking from their point of view, they shouldn't be uh, paying for uh, having a female singer, right? But um, but I feel like it was one of the places where everyone got to feel what it felt like to be a woman in that country. And um, I, I sh do you want to do you want to talk about the like the whole recording that we got afterwards? 
Um, yeah, but, um, but like, uh, there's not much to say. It, it's just uh, like from the stuff that we already mentioned, it's just obvious that um, this was actually a necessary experience for us. So up to that point, uh, we were always talking about um, like, we have to do this, like we owe this to our country and to the people in our country and the friends that we have in that country. And like it to be a platform for them to to talk about what they want. And then after this show, it was obvious for for all of us that no, uh, this is just impossible to continue and to to make a career out of in, in, in Iran. Like as much as I love my country, it's not a place to be a musician, unfortunately, specifically not not a like a metal musician. It's it's doable. It's doable. It's just like takes so much energy and like it's just frustrating at, at a lot of different angles and it's just too much at some point. So, for example, uh, right before that show, it was just too much for us mentally to be able to uh, like think about our music. Basically, that's what we started the whole thing, like to, to play our music and to enjoy our music. But it's just it gets impossible to enjoy yeah. anything in that. They make condition. it about everything but the music. What is your most cherished possession when it comes to uh, your band, Heterochrome? Um, for me, um, it's it's that scarf. There is a scarf that um, you could see in the live show, the same one that we're talking about, because um, that was one of the only chances that we got to play live as a whole band. And um, that scarf, my wife bought from um, a hard rock cafe. So it has like very cool um, guitar shapes on it and the color scheme is very awesome. And um, I was wearing that on the night of the, um, of the concert and it holds a very special place in my heart because um, it was our first show. And I think that, that specifically um, is my most cherished possession. I guess it, uh, for me it would be um, the the CD package, like the physical package that we, uh, the memories that I have with it. It's like, um, well, so I, we we're actually talking about the different um, Mission Impossible's to create an album in Iran, um, and this was like one of one of the steps as well to actually. Um, create a create a physical package like write uh, like burn the CDs and the uh, like print the booklets and like buy the packaging the like the jewel case and everything and this was done in like the most extraordinary way possible so like we had to go through um, twenty or thirty different um, uh, twenty or thirty different publishers. And then they wouldn't they wouldn't print us uh, the the booklet basically because we didn't have any permit to do so. And then we had to uh, go through like the friend of a friend who uh, actually works in a like a, a really shady uh, alley. They just have a couple of printers and they printed out the whole thing. And then we they they couldn't burn the CDs because it was um, basically too much for them. They, they could just print a booklet. Then we had to go through the same same thing to print the CDs and everything, and then uh, like put it all together uh, by ourselves, 
just put them together, put like labels and everything inside. It was just too much. And the, the CD package that I have with me, it's like, it's a reminder of uh, what it was like to actually get that thing in my hands. And like, that was the first album we, uh, we did actually um, create. And it was actually a really nice feeling to have it. And I guess I really cherish it. Final words. Final words. I guess um, I would like to, um, but we we have already talked about the situation um, in our in our uh, home country, and how um, how it's like kind of impossible to be a musician, um, but still like if you have the passion for it and you feel like you have to do it, then this is like something you you need to do. And um, like we have a bunch of friends, um, musician friends who are living, uh, living there and they need to be heard because they are extremely talented people. And uh, it's just unfortunate to, um, to not be able to make your, make your voice heard uh, because you live in a certain part of the world or like you speak a certain language or like, and um, I, I feel like, um, like everyone who, who is doing this needs to be heard and like voices matter. And thank you for, for like giving us this platform to basically talk about what we are doing and giving the opportunity for us to, uh, to share what it's like to, to do this kind of stuff there. Now, what's a website people can use to, uh, get your album? Um, we have it up on Bandcamp. Um, so we have our uh, own website as well, heterochrome.com. And also um, um, we have the album already up for uh, pre-order on Bandcamp. Um, it would be available on uh, May 13th. And yeah, I think Bandcamp is the place um, that you can check it out and um, buy it if you want. Thank you. This has been an interview with Heterochrome on Sunday May 8th, 2022, by Nick Perkel.